0: And again, as teachers, that's the more that we are present and in the now, the the stronger we will connect with students. If you see that yourself, that you're deeply interconnected with all other life and beings, a kind of a natural compassion arises because you see yourself in others, right? And so much today, there's a lot of emphasis on justice and equity, but unless there's love, it ends up being this like really empty
1: rhetoric Hello and welcome to the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud, and we are in collaboration with Intrepid N News. Today's guest is Jack Miller, Professor of Curriculum, Teaching and Learning at Ontario Institute for Studies in Education at the University of Toronto. Jack's work is focused on holistic education, curriculum and spirituality. He's the author of over 20 books, including Whole Child Education, Education and Soul, and Education for Wisdom and Compassion. In 2009, Jack was one of 24 educators invited to Bhutan for the orientation of Bhutan's educational system towards the goal of gross national happiness. And I'm very excited about this conversation with Jack because we explore what is holistic learning, not in terms of individualizing the learner, but rather in terms of emphasizing the connections that we have with each other, with ourselves, of course, and the natural world. And thinking about holistic education in ways that allow us to perhaps overcome the separation that we have been experiencing for the last 500 years or so. This conversation also has a lot of inspiring moments. One of the ones that uh, really um, still sticks with me is this idea of, of presence and how being present for the other is a way to show love. And Charlotte always reminds me that the greatest gift you can give someone is the gift of your time, and time and presence are tremendously related. Check us out, www.coconut-thinking.design. And of course, the article is on Intrepid News. And in the meantime, I'll leave space for my conversation with Jack. Hi, Jack. It's uh, really nice to have you on the show. Uh, looking forward to hearing about your book and and your career. Uh, and also maybe some of the uh, the, the paths that you've taken to be here and uh, l- thinking about how learning can be thought of in different ways, in different ways that we're used to. So, uh I'll start off by asking you the question that I ask all our guests, which is, who are you and what story do you want to tell?
0: So I, I'm Jack Miller, and um, well, my legal name is John. And, uh, the, my father was called John Miller. And I was called John Miller, Jr. So to com- avoid confusion in the house, they called me Jack uh, growing up. And then so most people know me as Jack, but the, my books are John P. Miller. Uh, so some people get confused about that. Uh, so I'm a professor at the university, of the university of Toronto in the Department of Curriculum Teaching and Learning, and I've worked at the same. It's it's also the, the the part of the university that I'm involved in is called the Ontario Institute for Studies and Education. So I've really been work. I got my doctorate there in '71, and and I've been working there since 1972. So, uh, but at one time. Uh, OISE, the Ontario Institute for Studies in Education, had field centers. And uh, so one, and their their job was not to do teaching, but to work with schools and school boards. So I spent 25 years in the field centers. I, I worked 12 years in, in Thunder Bay, Ontario, which is in the north. It's 200 miles north of Duluth, Minnesota. And it's a huge geographical area. So often I would have to fly these small planes into communities to work to work with teachers, right? And um, it's also very beautiful up there. Uh, I still have friends up there that I go visit, and it's a completely different life than living here in Toronto. And in some ways, I miss that. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, and then I worked in St. Catharines, which is near Niagara Falls, for twelve years. Again, I was working. With schools and that's that's when I started working in holistic education. Um, there was actually a, a school there that I worked with and uh, and actually holistic education as a term didn't come into being until the mid 80s before it was called humanistic education or confluent education. And but the term holistic arose in the '80s, and that's that that term has sort of taken off, and it's I think it's spread a lot. It's about educating the whole person, uh, the body, mind, and the spirit. And again, our schools have focused more on the intellect, and even not a very good way in the intellect, and ignoring the body and the mind. There's some kind of lip service to the body, but the, but the spirit is just totally ignored generally. Yeah, so. In 1997, I moved into Toronto to teach uh, because at that point the OISE was absorbed into the University of Toronto, and the University of Toronto didn't have much uh, that those field centers were sort of outside the normal thing that universities do. So they basically started shutting down the field centers, and I saw the future, and I and so I ended up coming to Toronto and and working. Um, In terms of my own personal like journey, it goes back to when I was uh, I was born in in Kansas City, Missouri and grew up there. And then I was a young American facing the whole Vietnam War issue. And um, and so I was under a lot of stress. And I started looking at ways to deal with the stress. And I started—I—I I got this book called *Yoga, Youth, and Reincarnation* by Jess Stern. And in the back of that book were these asanas, these postures. And I just started doing them on my own. And and within weeks, I could I could feel the difference. Uh, I felt you know a deeper sense of calm. And so I got interested in Eastern um, Eastern thought and started reading. The works of krishnamurti and and people like that and so after i so this is 1969 that i started doing that and then it eventually led me to starting meditation in 1974 and i do i do uh what's called the pasta meditation uh, which starts with the breath but basically you try to expand your awareness to your whole body and to what's going on around you, right? And uh, so I've been doing that since '74, and, and it's had a huge impact on my life. Um, and I have brought it into my in, into in, into my teaching. In 1988, I'd been meditating for 14 years, so in my teaching, I started to ask uh, students to do meditation for five weeks, five to six weeks, and keep a journal. And so I've introduced meditation to over 2,500, mostly teachers, doing master's degrees. Uh, and I think that's the most important thing I've done as a professor, uh, because at the end, they write a one or two page reflection on their, their experience. And I give them a lot of choice in the kind of meditation that they do. I don't ask them to do what I do. So I, 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 I give them uh, eight different types and they choose one. and um, and again, uh, like out, out of the 2,500 people, only four or five uh, wouldn't do it or couldn't do it. And I've never had one person who said, I'm really mad that you made me do this, right? Even though they, at the end, they said, well, thank you for introducing this to me, you know, but I'm not going to continue. But a lot of them say, uh, you know, uh, this has changed my life. I'm going to continue on and, and that. Yeah. And why do I ask them to do that as a teacher? I. Again, meditation is asking you to be more present, to be more in the now. And again, as teachers, that's the more that we are present and in the now, the the stronger we will connect with students. If the student feels that we're not present, we've lost them, right? And so uh, that's really why uh, the one of the, and of course, there are other reasons people do meditation, like there is evidence it's beneficial to your health. And that kind of thing. That, but that's the that's the main that's the main reason. So, so because I was against the war, and I was drafted, I I came to Canada in 1969 and have stayed here the rest of my life. And uh, so that was a big break from my family. My uh, my parents supported me, but again, when you left at that point, uh. uh, uh you didn't know when or if you'd be able to go back. So I couldn't go back for six years to the United States. And so, with my wife at that time, uh, we built a life in Canada together. And I've sort of remained ever since. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so I should mention my first wife because uh, she allowed me to go. I couldn't, I don't think I'd have gone to Canada on my own, right? And so we went together. And again, she lived in those places I mentioned, uh, Thunder Bay and St. Saint, and Saint Catharines. Uh, she died from cancer in 1988. And she's the mother of my two children. And um, <clears throat> again, that was a whole experience that uh, was, uh, with, of course, it was a very challenging experience. And her death was, a, was a left a wound with, me in particular, my children, my, my daughter was 12 when her mother died. So, so I've had to be sort of tried to be both mother and father to my children for the rest of my life, even though I've remarried, but, uh, you can never replace like your original mother. Right. So, uh, yeah. So that, that's been a big part of my life. I, that, I think being a, a, a parent is one of one of the biggest challenges in my life. Uh, being a being a parent is like uh there's so much ambiguity and there's no like there's no like formula to doing it yeah yeah so so i'll just mention one more thing in my work uh so in 1988 i wrote a book called the holistic curriculum <clears throat> and again there have been three more editions of that and that book uh First of all, there there are four schools that have based their curriculum on that book, and they're quite diverse schools. And the whole idea of the holistic curriculum, besides teaching the whole child, is that you try to build a curriculum of connectedness, showing how things are in relationship. Because so much of our education is structured around breaking things down into parts and not showing how things are connected and and hopefully related to some idea of the whole, and that's where Taoism comes in for me. And uh, so it's it's really so interesting that um, this like provides like it's a broad framework. It's not like a, you know what you do tomorrow, but it's a broad framework for doing. And so each of these has their own curriculum, but they still have focused on the idea of connections. And I in the book I talk about six connections, which which I won't go into now. So. It's, I've been deeply honored that my work would, have, you know, inspire people to start schools, right, or to use it. So I'll just talk about the Taoism book. Like, uh, that's, the last, that's the last book I've written. And uh, the whole idea is that I think that the uh, holistic education should be framed in the largest framework possible, which is the cosmos. And the Tao is some kind of, like, represent. represent representation of the whole or the cosmos. And it's a again, what I like about it is it's again, that the Dao is is trying to live in harmony with nature, with the way that things are in nature and using that as our guide. And uh, some of the writings of the Taoists are so beautiful and simple and nourishing. I just love reading reading them, right? And um, so with two students who are Chinese, I wrote this book. It's called, Taoism teaching and learning and nature-based post to education. And uh uh I also I think Taoism is also there's a lot of connection with indigenous wisdom as well. The, the again because of the nature kind of focus, right? So uh so I write a little bit about that in that book as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I well, much appreciate there, and and uh, and there's a couple of threads here that I want to pull on. Uh, but before we do that, just want to ask you the question we ask all our guests: How how do you define learning?
0: Okay, I think there are different kinds of learning. Okay, I don't think there's one kind of learning. So one kind of learning is what I call transmission learning, where you learn something. Sort of, it's like one-way learning. A teacher tells you something, and and of course, you, to learn a skill, you often uh, you just have to learn that skill through uh, people telling you or practicing it. So, uh, so and that's just acquire, and acquiring knowledge is, is, is one form of learning. And then I think another form of learning is learning how to solve problems, problem solving, being able to think in different situations. Uh, and uh, so that it requires some flexibility and, and skills and thinking. And then I think there's what's called transformational learning, where you are deeply like changed in some in some positive way. And, and usually that positive way for me is you learn, you learn more about yourself as a human being. I think the ultimate, what we need to learn is who am I as a human being? What does it mean to be a human being, particularly in the year 2022? And what is my relationship to the earth and to the cosmos? Learning about that. And again, that's where like the, the Taoism helps us do that. But it's, again, that's not the, I mean, Taoism is the only way. It's, But again, I think it's a challenge. And this is where I think our education fails. Like again, in adolescence, I think young people begin to ask, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What, you know, questions have been asked. And, but all they're given is this like rigid curriculum with very little space to deal with those questions. And, and, um, so I I think ultimately learning is, you know, what does it mean to be a human being? And what is my relationship to, uh, the earth and and the cosmos?
1: Yeah. Now, I want to talk about this word holistic education, holistic curriculum, holistic. Uh, insert the, the follow-on word there. And, and specifically, I want to get a feel as to your conceptualization of what that is or, or how you use the word. And then maybe if that is um, aligned or coherent with how it is used in other places or if there's friction between the way that word has been appropriated, what's your sense of, of holistic education?
0: Yeah, so it, it's it's educating the whole child and you can you can conceptualize the whole person in a different way, but I would just say the body, the mind, and and, and the soul. So it's it's trying, and it's, those are all interconnected. And then so, helping students see the, and and being in touch with the different parts of themselves, right? Of those three parts, and then it's about, again, uh, again, this is what a, a deep ecology has taught us is how reality reality is deeply interconnected so holistic education is trying to be in touch with the way things are with the that the, the, the that things are deeply interconnected and the more that they are in touch the more um i think uh more fulfilled uh the more uh wisdom or uh, and i i think of course, one of the goals of holistic education, besides developing the whole person, is development of wisdom and compassion, right? Because, And I think if you see that yourself, that you're deeply interconnected with all other life and beings, a kind of a natural compassion arises because you see yourself in others, right? You don't see others as separate. And um, again, we live in a time when there's so much like separateness and anger and separation and uh it scares me a little bit right (laughs) like um so i I, as much as possible if our education can can focus on 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 those things then then that to me is, is is holistic education
1: and the easy uh comment on this is the fact that in schools they divide into different classes and different silos which shows that there's no connections and the easy thing is to say that oh yes, we'll you know we'll we'll talk about socio-emotional learning as a separate course that we do in homeroom without seeing how it falls. But even going beyond that, the entire system of individualizing students, separating them, having them compete with grades, ranking them, sorting them, telling them that their goal is to get a great job because the World Economic Forum wants you to have these competencies. The whole the whole thing is is doesn't allow doesn't have room for interconnections.
0: Right, I know so. So that in some schools, there is a thing called integrated learning where they do try to integrate. And of course, that's done more at the elementary level. It's harder as you get up. And the worst is the university. It's, it, you know, everything is like. Um, but that's why, again, I And, and the, the more that the teacher, even if they're working in a system that is like fragmented, the more the system, more the. The teacher has that consciousness of love and interconnectedness that will come through to the student, even in a in a very like not a supportive environment. So that's why uh, I focus so much on on again, like with the meditation and building my classes. Hopefully, are a community where people actually uh, feel a form of love of each other. And and then I've written about a a book about love, uh, how you know there. Love is not. There are many forms of love, right? And how we can uh, bring these different forms into into education. Um, so, and again, one of them is is a form of love is being present. The more you are present, sometimes we've had this experience of being in the presence of another person that they are so there that we feel that we feel love, right? We feel we feel cared for and um so those are things that we can yeah but the system itself needs to be changed and uh but all the it's it's gonna have to go with societal change as long as we have a society where individual achievement is like the you know is the goal and you're right like you know uh making a lot of money and and uh being quote successful is that's the ideal then it's very hard to build uh, schools that are that don't support that,
1: <laughs> and oftentimes the conversation—I mean, maybe, thank thank goodness—less so nowadays. But is what's the future of education? What's the future of education? But you know, going on on what you're saying is—is is it's not about the future of education; it's the future of our society, of which education is not a silo but a fluid part. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. We you know, uh, there's
0: been a lot of books written recently about loneliness, how lonely people feel. They don't, they they don't, communities have broken down in in various places, particularly in like rural America, because a lot of um, businesses, you know, closed. And and, um, so, and, and, and again, they get on the internet, I've read this book called The Chaos Machine. And these lonely people get on the internet and then they're drawn to these sites that kind of foster anger and resentment. And and that's where they develop their, their identity. Right. And, um, and again, a lot of the, like the Facebook and the, uh, YouTube, they've they've, their algorithms have been set up to support that they, they don't, they haven't been like, uh, any, even like, uh, uh, when terrible things happen, when, uh, people, you know, like go on those sites and then they go out and they start shooting people, there hasn't been enough change in those, in those, in those, uh, companies, you know, particularly, I think Facebook and, and YouTube are the worst from what I can find out. And, um, uh, that it just fosters that this isolation and, um, uh, and all the opposite things that, you know, uh, I think we should be trying to do, you know, in our society, right?
1: And maybe maybe you could tell us a little bit about the Tao. Uh, our listeners might not necessarily be familiar with the Tao. Maybe they've heard of the Tao of Pooh. And can, can you yeah. give us maybe, uh, it, it, even though, you know, if you can name the Tao, it's not the Tao. <laughs> yeah. um, maybe tell us a little yeah. bit about, about what it what it maybe might be. Yeah even though you can't use using words.
0: Well, uh, supposedly it's the way of things, the way things are. But to talk about it, again, you're not supposed to talk about it, really. (laughs) It's something that hopefully you experience. I think we can have experience. Again, I I think the Tao is a lot about connectedness, uh, connectedness to the the processes of the earth, the processes of nature, and seeing ourselves as part of nature. and there's, there's something very humbling about that. Like you, you're it, when you see yourself a part of nature, you're part of something. You're not below it. You're not above it. You're part of it. And again, it, that's so much different from you know this separation, the the way people think of themselves, right? And um, so, uh, if you and again they the doubt, but the Taoists did actually you know give some guidance. And how to live, and one of them is like breathing. <laughs> like the ancient ones said, well, the 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 the, the sages they breathe from their their uh, their feet, <laughs> and 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 said that that the 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 real people they said, and and then the others just uh, breathe from their throat. Well, we there's evidence now that if you breathe from your abdomen, there's a book called Breath by by uh, Nestor. Uh, which he got, he cites all this research about breathing, and if we breathe from our abdomen, if we breathe slowly, and we breathe through our nostrils, and again, this is what Taoists have been talking about for for centuries. That leads to health and and long life. And of course, they have other, you know, ways to to, to again to live in moderation. And also to 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 basically not talk too much, like to be you know to be quiet, because when you're quiet, you can start to listen, and you can start to listen to the rhythms of the of the cosmos of the earth. and uh, we don't have a culture that really um, supports listening. It's all about talking. Uh, although I think in Asia, there's more like a tradition of listening than there is in North America.
1: I'm, uh, I'm curious about, about this um, idea of the doubt and, and about the flow and about letting go, about the concept of wu-wei, of, of, of non-action. And, and, and I'm interested as well in this idea of schools as places of learning, but also places of action, where we have to take action. We have to change things and be change makers uh, in order to solve climate change and, 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 and prevent climate breakdown. How, how do we reconcile this, this urgency? How do we reconcile the need to do something with the need not to do something? Yeah.
0: Yes, yeah. I do think that we have to, I think that, again, the Taoists talk about stillness. And in the moment of stillness, uh, we can begin to see the action that we need to do. I mean, so often in the West, we just like, you know, we have to do this. So we start doing that. And often that uh, and again a lot of that is it started with very good intentions, right? But sometimes it makes things worse when uh particularly we start to, to start to propagandize or tell people how what needs to be done, right? And I think uh, the Taoists suggest that if we get quiet enough, then then the action of what we're what what really will be helpful will arise that that we'll realize what we need to do. Again, that, you know, again, so much of Taoism is, first of all, you, you, it's trusting the, the, the cosmos and the earth, and it's learning to trust ourselves, the deeper part of ourselves. And the more that we, we, we have that trust in ourselves and in, and in the cosmos, then I think there's a chance that we will do the action that that's helpful. And, um, but of course, there's a lot of urgency now, particularly about climate change so uh, uh, yeah, we do have to we have to the action is is needed, but hopefully a Taoist or let's say in a broader sense a contemplative approach I, I think is is it can can be helpful.
1: and so what would this look like in schools? what would this look like in a school or a place of learning where um things might have to change from let's say a traditional structure because i can see how if it's something you start from scratch it's easy to build that culture it's easy well easy uh it's maybe uh, a little bit less difficult you can at least lay the groundwork well what would that look like in in a more traditional quote-unquote school in and in a place that that we could imagine as our as our caricature of school how, how do we bring this in because it's so against what the system tells us
0: okay so I think there are many different things. Uh, in In my book, uh, Education of the Soul, I talk about a curriculum for the inner life. In other words, things helping that the child develop an inner life, and this includes, um, uh, again, uh, things like. Meditation and mindfulness and visualization. Young children love to visualize. They use images, right? And um, and again, experiences in nature. And uh, even things again, this going farther out. Things like dream work, in other words, learning to accept your dreams. And you know, there's. you know, the idea that, you know, the dreams try to give you messages or so. The, so, again, uh, giving space and nurturing the inner life, I think, is something I think that, that I think should go on in, in, in education, in, in schools, if possible. Right. Then as much as possible, this my ideal of a school, it's a loving community. And the and the the image that I like is Martin Luther King's idea of the beloved community. The beloved community is a community of love and justice. And so much today, there's a lot of emphasis on justice and equity, but unless there's love, it ends up being this like really empty rhetoric, right? Or this kind of legalistic. Uh, so how we build community in the classroom and in the school, and um, and that that goes a lot again to the the teachers uh, bringing like a loving awareness to their work and working with each other and of course, the principal needs to like set the tone with all of that. Um, so those are uh, and I, again, I think if if particularly at all levels, if students can get out into nature, of course, it varies a lot where the school is. It's difficult if it's downtown, you know, but there are, you know, uh, there's still ways that, you know, when <laughs> th- I had to evaluate this thesis from a, a woman in Australia, she taught in a Catholic school at intermediate level, and she, she brought a dog into her classroom for, for three or four years, right? And then she wrote a thesis about having like that dog in the classroom, how that uh, had, a, had a really positive benefit to the children and their learning. Because uh, a dog, you know, they have in, they have certain intuitions, and they'll go to a student if a student is not feeling, you know, feeling low. They might go and like sit by that student, right? So even if you can't go out into nature, you can, and of course, you know, uh, other other things that you can, you know, like having having a having fish in the classroom or something like that as well, right? So. Um, so uh, definitely nature has to be part of it in, in some way. I really believe that. I, I, when I started, I didn't feel it this strongly. Yeah. So that certainly over the years, that's become a much bigger thing for me, right? But again, it has to be done. All this has to be done organically, right? It has to come from people being together and talking together and letting, not like saying, well, this is what you have to do. Like <laughs> as soon as you reach... Like you can't the Ministry of Education in any country. There are there are some. There's some ministries that are moving in this direction, but unless again, this is like you say, the society has moved in some direction of of a more compassionate society, right? Then um, it won't work. It won't work. So it it all the all the you know the the change needs to be you know like again that's where the Tao is that the change it's more organic. And it's like, again, the flow idea. Right. And yeah.
1: And, and I, and I love this idea about, you can't tell people what to do simply because uh, those are the models or the standards and, and nature is not standardized. No two <laughs> trees it. look the same. That's it. No, yeah. no two pieces yeah. of soil grow the same kinds of, of yeah. life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like Emerson said, n- nature is not calculating. And we are so calculating. We're always calculating about, and you have to do that to an extent, of course. Right. But it gets so overdone that we lose our relationship with the flow of things.
1: It's a it's it's a very challenging mechanistic, of course, uh, way of of by by it dehumanizes, of course. But I'm also thinking about the way that there is this stress on um, on on student-centered learning on 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 the individual, and and there's this language that's used. But I just want to get your thoughts on this. To me, to me, it seems like. Um, like they're misappropriating the word individualized because it's actually a commodification because they're trying to bring people up to go to these jobs, as we talked about, to do these things, to have these competencies, to be creative, collaborative, and, 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 and all that stuff they call 21st century skills. And I don't know when the 21st century appropriated these skills. I mean, I, I think, you know, people were creative before. But so I, I just want to get your views on, on, on this tension of, of what it means to be an individual within the system, what it means without What is that, especially given the fact that there's no individual because it's about relationships? How do we navigate all these ideas?
0: We have to offer, I don't think we can accept all that, you know, all all that language. We have to offer alternative, like, vision, right? Because that vision is is so corrupt, really. And and we have to challenge it in different ways, offer. And I do think that... uh, that I think part of, of human being wants to, I think part of us want to be loving to be connected, and we have to like focus on that and and uh, and touch that part of the person that where that resides and um, I mean most of our parents, I think more than anything, they want their kid to be happy, right? And yes, you want them to do well in school, but, um, not at the cost of of uh, being unhappy you know and uh, so this uh, one of the things you know that is all providing an opening for whole is is the, this focus on well-being and what does it mean t- to be well and, and that's although there's i was just reading this thing about the well-being the wellness industry has become so huge and it's it, it's Again, it's become commodified, right? But I think, and it, it, still, in schools, we can talk about well-being and what it what it what it, what that means for children, what it means for us as teachers, and how can we like uh, foster well-being? What are things that we can do? Uh, I think those are those are questions people, because you know, this whole, particularly North America, the mental health of of young children is just it's just such a big issue now and that gives us an avenue for talking talking about these issues that we've been talking about because i think some people realize that the way the system's set up is that it's causing people to be sick you know either mentally or physically and all of that so there is like an opening there that i think we need to explore
1: but it's not going to be filled with cupcake tuesdays
0: no 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 It's got to be, you know, like, uh, again, these things that I've been talking about, like the nurture of the inner life, connections to nature, the arts are very helpful if we can, if they can be done. And again, in a way that's, that's not, you know, a formula and, and, um, you know, um, and uh, the recognition of beauty. I mean, again, Waldorf education is one, like form of holistic education. And there's certain parts of Waldorf, I think it's too structured generally, but they do have a recognition of beauty, that the beauty has a role in, in people's lives, of, of recognizing beauty, of nurturing beauty. We just don't hear much about like an education about beauty. Uh, I, because of course people have different, you know, our our conceptions of beauty are, are, to a certain extent, relativistic. You know, one person sees beauty in one thing, and another. but even to, to talk about those things is, you know, what is beauty? <laughs> and because everybody has an experience of beauty, right? Uh, either uh, in nature or music or or whatever. And I think uh, talking more and offering. Uh, experiences of beauty, I think is one way of like, of dealing with some of these issues, right?
1: Yeah. And I love the fact that you're connecting the arts to our appreciation that we are of nature, because that's not always a connection that's made, but but it is because of of the connection to spirituality, again, like you said, the beauty, the creativity, the touching, the tactile, the using, using everything that's that's just not stuck within the head but it is in the head as well, but then the head and the heart are connected and so forth.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think one of the, you know, the worst things about the whole pandemic is the the lack of touching. And of course, I know there's this big issue in, with in schools that teachers are not supposed to touch children, which I think is really, uh, it's really sad. And it's, it's because of a few really bad apples, you know, but uh, but just taking it out of education, I think being able to hug each other, touching each other, and uh, embodying experiences with each other. that's that's being a human being, right? And this like we've like this whole pandemic, we've been in this like disembodied a uh, uh, world for like two years, and now we're starting to like and I and I know, i, I view Zoom is very helpful. like we wouldn't have had this connection without zoom right so it it has it has a place but i think but i you know at my university we're going back to some extent to in-person learning but i was shocked to find that 75 percent of my of my colleagues are still doing online teaching i'm just one of the 25 percent i mean i couldn't hardly wait to get back to the classroom because i just think it's a different experience you know and uh Online, you know, online learning is going to have a place because there's some people because of distance or whatever they they can't be in the classroom. All right. But uh, you know, it's it's um, I, you know it's moving back into an environments where we're together. And in an embodied way, I think is so important, you know.
1: Listen, thank you so much for your time. I'm going to uh, leave this open a little bit. Uh, it's uh, usually the, the last question I ask is what's on your horizons? What's, what, what are you uh, thinking and feeling? Now, your book um, just came out, so, so maybe you could talk a bit about that. That's probably what's immediate on your horizon, but maybe that and, and, and beyond. I guess this is a little bit the et cetera section of, uh, of what lies ahead for you.
0: Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I turned 79 this summer, so uh, I don't like, I've written 23 books or edit, edited and written. I don't have one on the horizon, that, so the, uh, so I'm just going to just, you know, sit with what things are right now. There's a big conference in New York this weekend on spirituality and education at Teachers College Columbia, and I'm doing a keynote there. And I'm going to talk about my journey, many of the things that I've just talked with you about. Uh, So but it's it's interesting. At at this point in my career, I'm getting more asked to do interviews and stuff. And uh, because all those books are out there and there's (laughs) people, I don't know. So I'm just kind of going I don't really have. uh, You know, I'm just kind of going with the flow right now. Right. And uh, just seeing. But I'm I'm half time. I I uh, I teach two courses a year, and that's just an, and I have three or four doctoral students. So I I do have plenty to keep me going as far as my work is concerned. And I plan on working as long as I'm I'm healthy. And I'm very I'm very fortunate. I'm I'm really in good health for somebody my age. I'm I have no meds, and I run every day, and I do yoga and meditation, and everything kind of keeps things going, <laughs> you know. But I know it won't last forever, so there'll be some point I'll just say it's enough. Right. And, but I, you know, like uh, I get so much uh, joy out of music, um, particularly the music of the Vienna four, Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven and, and uh, Schubert. And uh, it, as I get older, that music has meant like more to me Uh because I've listened to him my whole life, and the more you listen to that music, it becomes part of you, right? And and I've been following this uh, this man, uh, Dave Hurwitz. He's the head of Classic uh, Comedy. He's doing this. Um, uh, he's doing the Haydn Crusade. He's doing. He's going through all the hundred and seven symphonies of Haydn. And what he's saying about it, he, and I've listened to Haydn symphonies since the '70s, and he said that. Haydn saw his symphonies as an integrated organic whole. <laughs> and each part had to connect. And I never, I never knew that until he started talking about it. And I think possibly listening to that music my whole life has also had a connection to like my interested in holistic education, right? Uh, so again, I think music is a very powerful thing affecting our, our, our subconscious. And, our, and I know that I know for a lot of people, you know, it's not hiding for them, but for me, it has been, right? So, um, and then I read a lot. I just, you know, I read, i usually have two or three books on the go. Uh, I'm just so, and, and and often they're not about education. I read, I read fiction and I read, uh, you know, different kinds of things. So it's so important just to keep interested in different things. Right. Uh. Yeah, And uh, yeah, so those are the things that, and of course my family is important to me, my kids and my wife and friends, You know, I have a lot of good friends and uh, I'm very lucky at this point in my life, right? And uh, you know, I'm, very, I'm very grateful, yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much, I really appreciate your time.
0: Okay, <laughs> yeah, thank you, yeah.
1: This has been the Coconut Thinking Podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Freud. We are in collaboration with Intrepid Ed News. Thank you so much for listening. Check out our website, www.coconut-thinking.design. Check out Intrepid Ed on www.intrepidednews.com. And if you're interested in learning more about the WISER framework, www.wisr.life. That's a lot of websites. That's a lot of URLs. I'll repeat the coconut thinking one one more time, www.coconut-thinking.design. And in the meantime, we look forward to having you back with us soon. Leave us a comment and have a great week. Bye-bye.